good time to catch up with our friend Kevin Longquist on the hills of uh, just talking to uh, uh, Tony Casillas about all this stuff going on at uh, at Oklahoma. And uh, Kevin, this is uh, <clears throat> this is wild. You cover uh, both the season and then also you do a great job on recruiting. And and you see how this hat works with um, you're an SMU grad. So you see when SMU suddenly has an opening that uh, they lose some of these uh, top recruits, same thing's happening at OU today. We'll see which way OU goes. I would say of all these things, Kevin, the the Lincoln-Riley leaving is the stunner of them all. Would you agree? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I think everyone kind of thought that, uh, you know, and it seemed real hot and heavy. I guess it would depend on what media outlet was reporting that he was destined to go to LSU. And, of course, he comes out after Bedlam and says, I'm telling you right now, I will not be named the next head coach at LSU. And then voila, within 18 hours, he's off to Los Angeles. And it just sets off a chain reaction to where kids are left in a lurch. They don't know what to do. They're confused. They're frustrated. They feel like they were betrayed, you know, that sort of thing. And that's where you see not only guys – uh, decommit from the class, but then you also see very key players enter the portal. Like it, like you know, well, Spencer Rattler was pretty much destined to go to the portal anyway, given the way his season was. But then you see other names like a very impactful se- receiver like Theo Weiss, who may you know who's in that realm as well. And don't forget, Baylor went through this in 2017, uh, prior 2016 rather, after the whole Art Bryles saga, where the whole class just came apart. And, you know, that was a class, by the way, Matt, that don't forget, it was in the teens by our rankings, and it had all those four stars in there, and then everybody took off. And remember the whole legendary story when Matt Rule took over, there was only one commit there, and that was Jalen Petrie. And, of course, we've all seen how Jalen's career has turned out, but it's kind of interesting how just how it all just sets off this major chain reaction to how coaches are trying to scramble to save their classes i don't think it's really going to be that is it'll be easier to do it at ou with the signing day coming up in a couple weeks than maybe other locations and then smu's got its own issues to deal with of course but but the good thing for smu is that they kind of had a plan in place because they already got their head coach in place in rent lashley yeah and um it'll be interesting lashley's been there and at least knows the culture and i think smu can get behind him um I, I did find it funny that the OU president today, you know, had the audacity to uh, say to it to basically be quoted saying uh, he admitted we would have liked more notice. The OU president says about the situation with Lincoln Riley. <laughs> I you, mean, can, <laughs> golly. I mean, if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, everyone would have a Merry yeah. Christmas, as Don Merritt yeah. used to say. I mean, it's not like. I mean, that's all just optics, and it kind of sounds a little sour grapes, but this is just the way this industry works. There's a reason why, Matt, it's called silly season, because of stuff like this happening. But the audacity to say that after what Texas and OU did to the other Big 12 schools, I think they all would have enjoyed some notice. So the lack of self-awareness is pretty funny. (laughs) I think it's it's kind of ironic how you see both these schools – headed to the SEC, and the, the both of them, both of their programs went through a lot of turmoil going into the season. I mean, I think there was some sort of report that came out that said that, the, I think Dean Blevins had said it, that the week 
leading up to the Baylor game that the things were starting to fray inside OU's program. Now, what ex- what specifically those were, who knows? But because I don't think Dean really got into much context about that beyond what I saw. But it just kind of shows you this. And then, of course, the the arguments out there coming from the OU side that Lincoln didn't want anything to do with going to the SEC, and he opposed it, and that's why he's going to going to the West Coast. I mean, it's all. I mean, this is where you get all this stuff out there flying around, and then you see what's really see what sticks or not. It's a great coup for USC, though, to get them for sure, because that's a program that's been dormant for years, and they're hoping that they can kind of get back to where they were. You know, especially you know as recently as the Pete Carroll era. Yeah, I mean that's interesting because I mean a lot of ways I guess Stoops and Switzer being around were big shadows, but in a lot of ways the infrastructure was there for Lincoln. He's at a legendary mm-hmm. place. I, I I would imagine his thinking not only was the SEC, but but you go to a place that is a blue blood but has fallen on hard times. And so mm-hmm. if you get that thing to nine or ten wins a year, you're like a hero. Whether whether at at Oklahoma, if you win ten or le- or fewer games, it's really a bad season. You know, right. we're here at, and, and and so and plus, I mean, you know, he's getting he he got it handed to him by Dave Aranda, and they're going to go to the SEC. So we may end up looking up and going, man, Lincoln Riley was one smart dude. I just think we're yeah. wired. Having you lived here for a long time now, and I have too, we're wired to think that football only happens in the South or Southwest. And nothing moves beyond nothing moves beyond Norman, Oklahoma. You know, west of Oklahoma, Norman, Oklahoma. Yeah, it's been so bad out there. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the way we think sometimes. It is the Matt Mosley Show. Kevin Longquist from Rivals. Uh, joining us, and you can see a lot of his stuff at at Sikkim Sports, and then uh, uh, and then you can see some of his uh, uh, his own opinions there at at Baylor Rivals. Um, Kevin, the, the the Baylor game the other day, uh, it, it was a uh, it, that was a tough one. That was a tough. I was monitoring that thing closely while I was traveling back. That was uh, that. Yeah, that was a hang on to your hat type game, mm-hmm. and and yeah. it, those are tough because y- you can say everything you want, but you get in one of those games, and we find out later so many players had were recovering from the flu. Obviously, they had the insider knowledge that maybe Joey had supplied them. Tech s- stood up and played in that game, but I got to say this: Blake Shapen got it done. I I, I saw some stuff on Twitter like. Well, uh, complaining. Think about that. That kid got thrown into the Kansas State game, and he goes out there and throws for, I don't know, 254 yards uh, in a start against Tech. I got no issue with Blake Shapen. I thought the guy was ready, and, and, he, and he made winning-type plays uh, in, in both of these games. So I, I think you get a shout-out to, uh, to Sean Bell, uh, the quarterback's coach, and, and Jeff Grimes, and this kid – for being ready, that is no easy thing to be in there as a redshirt freshman. What do you think about the way Blake Shapin's played? I thought he played pretty solid. Now, he got away with a couple of throws, especially on the pick six that was knocked away really from behind by uh, Tyquan Thornton that was originally ruled an interception, then it was called a fumble, and then it was recovered, and then the, the replay showed. Because if, that's, because if that's not overturned, that's Tech's ball, 
and they're probably going to take it down and score. I, I, but I'm, and Blake got away with a couple, you know, had a couple of other throws that he would like to have back. And you know, even Dave Aranda said it in his press conference after the game when he threw a couple of those balls. He's like, oh no. And but at the same time, the, the you know the opening touchdown pass that he threw to Tristan Ebner, that thing was a seed. Uh, you couldn't have played it. You couldn't have laid it out there any better than he did on that. And then I think the touchdown pass to Ben Sims in the back of the end zone where he held it just long enough, knew that a blitzer was coming at him, and he lofted it up over the top so that so that Sims could get some separation from the corner was also a really good ball. Now, I, I think from this standpoint, because I expect him to start, I have no reason to think that Gary Bohannon will get any closer, even though he was supposed to go through a practice today, even though it was a walkthrough. But uh, if you're going to prepare Shapen for this, you got a far different animal to deal with with that Oklahoma State defense than what you had with Tech's defense. You know they're going to be they're going to be in your face and they're going to be and they're very physical up front. And so I think what you're going to have to do is put a game plan together so that Blake doesn't make a lot of costly mistakes and that he's going to make a lot of safe plays. Now, does that mean that the Baylor offense can be successful moving the football? I don't know. I mean, can you look at the first half tape? with kind of a puppy of a quarterback in Caleb Williams at Bedlam last week with what Oklahoma did and say, can we, what can we parlay off of that to make Blake successful? That's going to be kind of the, the chicken and egg discussion for that offensive coaching staff. Yeah, I think they feel uh, this is a really great opportunity for Baylor. The upside to sure. this thing is they get a chance to learn off probably the game. I know they, they hated what happened at TCU. But the, but the coaching, uh, there was some really rough aspects of that uh, of that Oklahoma State game, and they get a re- they mm-hmm. get a do over basically. I mean, right. it, it, and and that's uh, I mean a pretty unbelievable opportunity. I mean, the truth is, if Baylor beats TCU, this game may be for a playoff spot. Um, for it's sure. not, and that's okay. It's not, and and again, this has been a tremendous season, and and Aranda should be considered for coach of the year. But um, I do think they'll play a lot better. Now, again, who's going to be back? Christian Morgan, yeah. probably not. Uh, Kalen Boogie Barnes, maybe so. He's had the concussion. Yeah. Uh, he's been out two games. I think you've got a great shot of getting him back. I, I don't know exactly what's going on with Tejada. I know you've noticed that. They, sometimes they'll, get, they'll have him out of there. Uh, obviously, he made an enormous play on the strip sack right. and the fumble. Recovery. I'm not totally sure what they're doing with him lately, but um, I, I I do think they'll get some reinforcements back. Uh, so I think they can put their best foot forward versus OSU. I think they can too. I think the one thing is is you know the, uh, it's something that I've talked about before, Matt, is that they just rotate their corners their corners in there because they feel so comfortable with the depth back there. I and mean, obviously they lost Al Walcott in the uh, at the end of the first half because of the targeting penalty, but he'll be back uh, for the game in its entirety against Oklahoma State, so that's big. Um, I think the one thing is that the defense is just going to have to be a little bit more disciplined because they got caught on a couple of plays, especially with, you know, the one that uh, McLean Maddox had set up the game-tying field goal attempt that, of course, the Tech missed. And then, of course, they got absolutely shanghaied, if you will, on the screen pass uh, to Koontz that went for 75 yards in the touchdown. So those are some things that they've got to clean up. The one thing I will say, and of course, if you look at this whole history of this Baylor roster with these guys that have been through all this up and down from basically 1-11 in 2017 to playing in two Big 12 championship games in 2019 and now this coming Saturday, it kind of shows you how 
resilient, resilient this group is. And I think this group in general, because it's one thing to get to the Big 12 championship game with maybe one coach twice in three years, but to do this under two different coaches is really extraordinary. I agree. It's it's big. And, uh, and Kevin, always fun getting to catch up with you. Appreciate it. And uh, best of luck on this uh, the Lashley era as it begins yep. <laughs> on the hilltop for SMU. <laughs> we'll see They'll, what be fine. They'll be now, fine. We'll see what happens with that. I th- I'll say this in closing, Matt. The impressive thing about what SMU did there is the fact that they were very proactive in getting him in. And basically, you might have dueling press conferences tomorrow with SMU TCU introducing their coaches. But that's kind of one thing, because that's one thing that SMU has really failed at in the last couple of years is being proactive and finding their head coaches. And this time they seem to really have their plan laid out to get it done. So that's kind of a feather in their cap. All right. Well, Lashley has that youthful look about him, and he looks like a guy who went to SMU and maybe hung out over at the Fiji house. All right. All my Uh, best, Kevin. All right. Sounds good, Matt. Take care. Kevin Longquist is out, and uh, that was a great little group of uh, guests that we had.